Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Another edition of Let's Talk Sports coming to you on this Thursday. Kanoa Leahy here sitting in the PAXA studios in Honolulu and uh, being joined by, well, so Rob DeMello oftentimes from KHON2 uh, sits up here in the studio with me on Thursdays. Bit of a scheduling conflict, but we wanted to maintain our KHON2 influence here on the show. Uh, and so we have KHON2 sports digital reporter Christian Shimabuku in the house. Uh, not that you are a plan B, all right? Let's not put it that way, but a very, very appreciative appreciative that uh, you were able to uh, uh, shift some things around, make yourself available here uh, to join me on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kano. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. No, we're going to have fun here. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Uh, do have some, uh, I guess you could say bad news or unfortunate news or at least some significant news regarding the end of an era. Um, someone that I think a lot of sports fans here in the islands have, have followed and uh, have certainly admired. Uh, I, we in the sports media realm have absolutely thought so highly of, of this gentleman uh, for so many years, but uh, it is being now reported front office sports, as a matter of fact, was the entity that first uh, confirmed this, that uh, Neil Everett, of course, a former uh, local sports anchor and reporter, most notably with KGMB for a bunch of years before uh, moving on to uh, the big time and established himself as one of the top sports center anchors for many years and has still been part-time uh, anchoring with ESPN on the sports center, um, even though he's kind of gone a little more hybrid and is also doing some work, uh, studio work with the Portland Trailblazers broadcasts. Uh, but his time at ESPN is Pow, that's right. According to front office sports, Neil Everett is officially leaving ESPN, uh, confirming that he's the latest on-air talent to leave during this Walt Disney Company mandated downsizing of ESPN's on-air TV and radio talent. Uh, Neil Everett, 61 years of age now, uh, has been one of the more popular anchors, I would have to say, right, for uh, ESPN uh, for over two decades. Uh, he will look to increase his role with the Portland Trailblazers. I guess he has some side projects. Uh, also in the works, um, and it was interesting, in a statement that he provided to front office sports, uh, you know, he always said bartender Jack on some of his home run calls, and that's one of the reasons why he was so popular was he had some of those really catchy lines and, and overall catchphrases, uh, but he said in a statement to front office sports, bartender Last call. That's right. He added, ESPN changed my life, but now it's time for me to change my life myself. Time to write a new chapter. Uh, but he was teamed up with Stan Verrett, and those two, I think, were a really dynamic duo. Uh, they were able to help establish the Los Angeles studio uh, for ESPN. They were working together on the anchor desk since 2009. One of the longest-running and most effective sports center duos, uh, I would say, probably ever. Uh, and again, he was known for some of those catchphrases phrases was also a feature in a lot of those this is sports center spoof commercials uh, just really really good stuff a fantastic career at espn for neil everett a career that is not yet done by any stretch but at least his time at espn it appears is over your reaction to uh, hearing one of the the legends of the game is uh, getting out at least from the the flagship at least from the mothership espn yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I wish Rob was here instead of me because, <laughs> you know, he's very close to Neil. Um, he even went so far as to name, um, you know, his 
uh, his youngest son, Nico. Um, his middle name is Everett. That's right. Um, that's how close that uh, Rob and Neil are. Um, but for me, um, I can't really say that I'm close to Neil. Um, I met him a couple times. He's a, a very nice guy. Yeah. Um, but I think the coolest part about him is how um, he would open every sports center with How's It? And, yeah. um, you know, that just made you feel that he was still connected to the islands, even though he was away for such a long time. So um, it definitely does feel like the end of an era. Um, it's definitely bittersweet as well. But um, it's cool that he was able to be there for as long as he was. Yeah. Where would he kind of rank in your opinion? And, and yeah, you know, Rob, very close uh, with Neil. In fact, Everett is Neil's middle name as well. Neil Everett Morfitt is actually his uh, full name. So uh, you're right. That shows just uh, how tight of a bond uh, those two have. Rob, who actually got his start basically as an intern with Neil Everett when uh, he was over at KGMB. And, and now Rob DeMello uh, has moved on to, to do his own thing at KHON too. Uh, but, you know, even if you admire Neil from afar, even if you don't have like this this really strong uh, personal relationship with him, I think a lot of us can appreciate uh, his work, right? And, and just his overall talent uh, that he put on display uh, while at ESPN and will continue to do so in other areas areas for sure. Uh, but where would you kind of put them, right? I mean, like, I think uh, SportsCenter has evolved over time. Um, you know, long gone are the days of the big show uh, with Keith Oberman and Dan Patrick, and those two would definitely be on the Mount Rushmore of SportsCenter anchors. Uh, Chris Berman would be another ESPN personality who did a lot of SportsCenter shows over time. Um, there are a lot of guys who would maybe be in the running to be kind of on that that ESPN SportsCenter Mount Rushmore. Of course, there was another Hawaii uh, media member who went on uh, for a time to uh, work at ESPN, Larry Beal, and he's doing really well for himself still in San Francisco. Uh, but he was pretty darn good when he was on the SportsCenter desk as well. Where do you kind of put Neil Everett, you think, if we want to get into our uh, very obligatory sports talk radio ranking system? Yeah, I've been asked to rank uh, athletes before, but never sports and anchors. <laughs> yeah. So this one's pretty tough, but um, you know, I think it's a testament to Neil that he was able to stick around this long because he is someone that you know I truly grew up watching. Um, you know, I would put him up there with like a guy like Stuart Scott, right? Uh. Um, maybe not as iconic as Stuart Scott because um, you know the legacy he left behind. Um, you know, and just the name value of, of a Stuart Scott. Yeah, yeah. But Neil Everett is right up there as well. Um, I think people recognize him just because, um, you know, they did grow up in the Sports Center era where Sports Center was the biggest sports show. That's right. I think in the social media age, it's kind of hard to, to make that the biggest show now. But uh, back in like 09, 2010, uh, sometimes you didn't know the results of these games and Neil would give it to you live. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, his legacy will live on um, at SportsCenter as well. Yeah, I think in a, a, an industry or in a game, right, when you're talking about, you know, SportsCenter anchoring, uh, where everyone is trying to be as creative as possible and come up with those uh, catchphrases that, that that people can sort of attach to their branding, right? I mean, that was always like the big thing. And everyone sort of had their, their you know, half dozen or so lines that were their signatures. Uh, and I think what made... Neil in his time at ESPN, um, to me, uh, so remarkable was the fact that he was able to, amid that, with some of the most creative and talented anchors in, in the realm of, of sports media in the United States, um, he was able to still stand out because he was pretty original. Like, he was unique. He was still different, even in an industry where everyone was trying to be different and everyone was trying to stand out. And so for him to be able to do so because he just had kind of a unique style, the unique booming voice, um, 
you know, utilizing certainly a lot of the elements uh, that he picked up from uh, his time here in Hawaii and kind of always putting in a lot of inside jokes, right? A lot of stuff that people in other corners of the country be like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> uh, but he'd be making little inside jokes and references to people back here in the islands. And I, I think, um, you know, to be that... Uh, confident and and in fact and sometimes maybe that 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 brazen to be able to insert those kinds of jokes and that kind of humor i think uh, just shows the, the the kind of uh, fortitude that he had uh, as an espn sports center anchor so i would put him likely in my top five or six for sure i think dan patrick keith oberman those are two of the absolute legends that kind of uh, got this thing to another level entirely right where it was you know you would watch sports center and almost like uh, you know schedule your your evening around sports center in much the same way uh, that you know late night television in its heyday was appointment television right it's like we've got to run to the TV screen to watch Letterman or to watch Jay Leno or before that Johnny Carson is like sports center kind of became that it had not just the information and that you know days uh, highlights and scores from the sports world but it was entertaining and I think that's where we saw the transition in television in many ways of course that has now given way somewhat to debate television, which we love 100% of the time, right? It never gets tiresome, no. But uh, I, I think Neil was able to take that kind of baton uh, and over the course of the last 14 years uh, as as a partner with Stan Verrett and, and just as one of the, the ESPN Sports Center anchors of note was able to stand out and kind of make a name for himself, with it, which is, I, I think, pretty remarkable. So, uh, yeah, Dan Patrick, Keith Oberman would have to be in there. Scott Van Pelt would yeah, have to be sure. up there, right? Uh, Stuart Scott is an absolute legend of the game. I think Neil is in that kind of convo, if, if, if not just like right outside of, of that tier, which is uh, which is pretty remarkable when you think about just how much those guys, those other, other names that I mentioned, are sort of on like godfather status when it comes to uh, SportsCenter anchors. Uh, it's a pretty cool accomplishment, I think, and um, you know I, we've looked up to Neil for a long time, and uh, we congratulate him on a fantastic run at ESPN. He's not done. We're, we're not, he's not deceased. Right? We're not talking yeah. about him in the past tense in that way, uh, but we are talking about uh, just uh, reflecting back on what is a uh, remarkable run for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, having pride in Hawaii, I think that was the coolest thing that, or one of the coolest things that he displayed. Um, that's very KHO on two of me to say, but, uh, <laughs> you know, just like he would make his obscure references like Matsumoto shave ice yeah. and, you know, show pride every time there was a Hawaii athlete on a, on a top 10. Uh, sometimes you wonder if, uh, you know, they're in the top 10 because of Neil. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's all good, yeah. Yeah, no, we, there was uh, many a times, Kevin Luke, a longtime um, technical director with, with Spectrum Sports and, and uh, one of the guys who gets hired out uh, by uh, ESPN and some of the other national entities that come through here uh, to broadcast games. Um, he worked at, at KGMB, built kind of a relationship with Neil. And so, yeah, even during like UH games or other games of that note, if, uh, if there was a really good highlight, you could count on Kevin Luke to make sure that that got to Neil's desk somehow. And uh, more often than not, I, I would imagine that it resulted in that highlight getting into the top 10 yeah. so Neil could give a, a shout out to the island so yeah very very good stuff and we wish him the uh, absolute best uh, and and good luck to whatever uh, the future holds here in this next chapter of his life he's done really well for himself he's made a good chunk of money i think in his time at espn and so now it's uh, kind of gravy he can do what he wants and, and call the shots and and uh you know kind of uh 
go about his business the way he wants to. And that's a pretty incredible accomplishment in any industry in this day and age. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Uh, got some other news uh, regarding another prominent Hawaii guy, and that is former Rainbow Warrior setter uh, and two-time national champion and national player of the year, Jakob Tella. Uh, it was just learned today, and Jakob uh, helped to kind of spread the word here uh, on this, but uh, it was just learned that he has signed with a professional club. That was the expectation, but he signed with a pretty darn good one, as a matter of fact. A.S. Volley Lube in Italy. Uh, this is a, a club that has won um, a respective league world championship. Uh, they have won a ton of other titles over recent years. They have a world champion setter who is already there, who I think Jakob Tello will sort of learn under the wing of. Uh, but this is a team that also has a guy by the name of Alex Nikolov, who was the National Player of the Year as a freshman for Long Beach State two seasons ago. Uh, they have Gabby Garcia Fernandez. I think he might be on the way out, though. I think he might be uh, on to maybe a different team. Kind of hard sometimes to get all of the information uh, because of the translation and whatnot. But uh, there was sort of a uh, thank you and, and kind of uh, an inference of a goodbye to Gabby on the team's social media uh, platforms. But... Um, I mean, just those two names right there, right? In recent years, Hawaii fans have seen those guys. Like, those are those were some of the best uh, volleyball talents that we have seen come through here. Uh, and he's on that squad. Like, he's going to be setting to Alex Nikolov. Like, imagine that. That's dream team type stuff. Jakob Tella and Alex Nikolov connecting. Are you for real? That's, that's, that's bananas right there. Yeah, I think in the last two years, um, if you were to ask Hawaii volleyball fans, who are the two names we remember the most? It probably is Jakob Tella and Alex Nikolov. And I think, for me personally... I think this changes the way that um, I want to follow these guys, you know. I think when you um, cover them at UH, um, you kind of, uh, you know, keep an eye on their career afterwards, but you don't really watch the matches live. But with Alex Nikolov and Jakob Tell playing together, I think I do want to wake up and, and watch those matches now. Yeah, I mean, think about, like, you know, we remember how tough of a server uh, Jakob Tella has been, and will always be, right? He's, he's the all-time record holder for aces at the University of Hawaii. And then Alex Nikolov, I remember just the, the missile serves that he would deliver. There was one that ended up in, like, the 30th row. That was the uh, most impressive one. <laughs> that was yeah. maybe the one that stands out the most, for sure. Uh, but then, you know, Gabby Garcia-Fernandez, not sure exactly what's going to uh, happen or what is necessarily in the works with him uh he is still currently on the team's wikipedia page listed on the roster but remember the way he served right it was like nothing we've even really yeah. seen before so yeah i think to see that collection of talent it's like these two fierce competitors for these two fierce rivals in the game of college volleyball that happen to be in the same conference um and the last two national players of the year now they're in the same squad like that's pretty intriguing you're right i i definitely could see myself uh hunting down some of the links to be able to watch some of this team's games in action because uh yeah to, to think of of at that professional level right the elite professional level to think of like these are two of the best guys we have ever seen uh and they are just going to be two guys on a team in a league on this world platforms and and world stage uh of guys who are like that across all of the rosters like that's crazy to me uh how how high the talent in that game uh can go and it gives you more of a frame of reference because we've seen this guy in a Hawaii uniform we've seen him up close and personal doing his thing and now to think about like taking that to that level and just how how widespread the talent must be uh that that stuff kind of uh that that really intrigues me i think that that's the kind of stuff that would co compel me to uh, to go check that out yeah for sure and i think when you look at Jakob Tell's career um 
you know, I think the thing I admire about him most is as dynamic as he was, um, he really became a floor leader these past two or three years. And the way he was able to develop relationships with his hitters and know exactly where they want the ball and at what time. And to think of him developing that relationship with Alex Nikolov, <laughs> it's tantalizing. Um, I know it's going to look electric, and I think that's why I, I have to tune in. Uh, we're going to get some uh, Lube jerseys, right? We're gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the on the, on the the hunt. I'm in the market for uh, a couple <laughs> of those uh, volley Lube jerseys or some kind of gear uh, to uh, root. They're my new favorite team. Uh, let's just put it that <laughs> way. They're my new international uh, favorite uh, sports team. All right. Well, beat the heat with Fujitsu Air Conditioning Systems. Fujitsu includes a special trifecta warranty that will have you saying, I love my Fujitsu. All right, we saw game three of the NBA Finals last night. The Nuggets flexed. We will talk about that with my man Christian Shimabuka when we come back. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Being joined by my special guest co-host for the day. He is the digital reporter for KHON2 Sports. Christian Shimabuku, thank you for being here. We watched uh, game three of the NBA Finals uh, together with our buddy BMAC uh, yesterday. And the Nuggets, well, they did their thing. You had a triple-double again, a monster triple-double. First 30-20-10 triple-double in NBA Finals history uh, put in by Nikola Jokic, who is just continually uh, further cementing himself as maybe the uh, best player uh, in the world, the best player in all of basketball. It just seems to be unstoppable. Of course, the Miami Heat, they are a little bit smaller. I think that's been something that the Nuggets in the game where both teams weren't really hitting threes, uh, and then it comes down to, all right, who can maybe have the more effective inside game? Uh, the Nuggets' size, I think, has certainly played a factor here uh, in what we have seen so far uh, in this series, but they take a 2 one advantage in the NBA Finals with a 109-94 uh, win in Game 3. Uh, what stood out to you besides, obviously, the uh, crazy triple-double uh, for Nikola Jokic? Uh, you also had uh, Jamal Murray, who went for 34-10-10. Um, what what did sort of you take away from, from that Game 3 uh, performance? And is that more or, or was that more close to, to the norm that we will likely see in, in the, the rest of the series? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, watching NBA Finals over the years, um, just the star power of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray together, um, you know, this is kind of a reach, but it kind of does remind me of that Game 5 where um, in 2016 where LeBron James and Kyrie Irving both scored 40 points. Yeah. Um, to have a pair of teammates and Murray and Jokic uh, each have a double-double, I think that's the first time that's ever happened in NBA Finals history. Um, and, yeah, uh, just for Nikola Jokic, um, he might be the best player in the world right now, even though he plays like he's wearing a pair of slippers the way he runs. <laughs> um, there's no way to defend him. And I think uh, a team like the Heat that plays such great defense, it really is pick your poison with Jokic. Um, if you want to make him into a passer, he has shooters around him, and he's one of the best passers in the game. If you want to make him a scorer and give, keep giving him those 5- to 10-foot bunnies, he'll drain them all day. So um, there really is no answer for Nikola Jokic, and I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, Mike Malone called it the best performance by that specific tandem uh, in their, what, seven years now together. And obviously Jamal Murray has missed some time in the last few years with injury. But uh, you're right, it's the uh, first duo in NBA Finals history to record 30-point uh, triple doubles uh, en route to a 109-94 win. Uh, and I think what stood out to me most about that game is uh, Denver played defense. And that's not necessarily something that has been associated with them. Uh, they have oftentimes throughout the regular season and even in these playoffs kind of just like 
outscored uh, opponents and, you know, their offensive firepower because of the efficiency of a guy like Nikola Jokic and when Jamal Murray goes, you know, bubblicious like we saw him a few yeah. years ago and how he has performed oftentimes, even on the road, which is a big surprise, I think, to me, how, how red hot he was uh, in game three against L.A., how absolutely on fire he was last night in front of this, uh, you know, chaotic crowd in Miami. Um, I, I think that those two guys are so efficient and obviously they have a strong supporting cast and their size, um, but they were more known to just kind of outscore teams. Uh, last night we saw them kind of bottling up the heat. Now the heat did miss a lot of shots, but I don't think those shots were as wide open as they were in the first two games. In game one, they certainly seemed like a tired team. They had just gotten out of that seven game series with the Celtics. Uh, and so you had a guy like Max Struess who goes over. Game two, they got, I thought, you know, a fair amount of similar looks, open looks. It's just in game two, they hit them. Uh, they weren't as open. Those those looks weren't there as frequently, as often, certainly in the second half of that game last night. So, uh, to me, that was a difference. Like, if the Nuggets can put in that kind of defensive effort uh, with their size, and, you know, despite Michael Porter Jr., who is having an abysmal NBA Finals offensively, you know, just still with their sheer size behind you know, Aaron Gordon, uh, MPJ, and obviously Nikola in the in the middle. Uh, if they can play defense like that, I just I don't know how much of a chance you give the Miami Heat because the other thing that we're seeing from Miami is um, we're not seeing, I guess, uh, is that playoff Jimmy, right? Jimmy Buckets. We're not really seeing that he hasn't been able to really take it to that next level. And You know, maybe he's banged up when Bam fell on his leg. That seems like maybe that uh, changed a little bit about what Jimmy Butler can do. Um, we haven't seen that. I think they're going to have to get that from him uh, if they're going to want a chance to win this series. Maybe they can pull off another game, but, you know, I kind of called Denver in five, and, and I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of feeling okay about that at the moment, but obviously this is a Miami team that is been touched by God. So you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think, uh, as you said, uh, defense is a lot about effort, and that's a principle that's taught from a very young age. And um, I think the reality is, you know, the Nuggets headed into the series very well rested um, after, unfortunately, sweeping the Lakers. Um, and then the Heat, um, you know, they really had to battle to get to where they are, um, playing seven games against the Celtics, being a play-in team. And then, as you said, Jimmy Butler um, having that serious ankle injury against the Knicks. Um, we haven't really seen him uh, be the same since. Um, and I think the, the Nuggets are just flexing their depth, too. How about Christian Brown? Yeah. Uh, a guy who yesterday, um, I thought his name was Christian Braun, just because of the way it's spelled. <laughs> but he just emerges as this guy who, you know, is another piece for Denver. And, um, yeah, she likes... Uh, Embarrassment of death for uh, for Denver. Yeah, what did he have? 15 points uh, in that game, and I think I also learned that it was Brown <laughs> last night and not Braun. And I kind of feel like he should change the pronunciation <laughs> because of the way he played. Because Braun just sounds cooler, right? And like you can, <laughs> you know, he could get the sponsorship with Brawny paper towels, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> like it's all there for him if he wants to change uh, the pronunciation of his name. It's kind of like when Joe Theismann. It was actually Joe Theismann, but then he changed the mm -hmm. pronunciation to rhyme with Heisman for his Heisman campaign, and it just stuck. I feel like that's what uh, you know, Christian Braun uh, should. Uh, should do but yeah I, that's uh, you know you're right I, I think on any given night to kind of have a guy like that who can defend who can rebound we saw him with that poke away steal and then just like actually like just absolutely hammer one mm -hmm. uh, in transition um, you know and that takes the crowd out of it that sort of swings the momentum further there were some people who I noticed uh, questioned the officiating uh, in that game and you did have Tony Brothers mm -hmm. and whenever he's running the show with the officiating crew uh, strange things tend to happen you and I are LeBron stands and you 
can rewind back to the 2018 NBA Finals in Game One against the KD Golden State Warriors, and it's like Tony Brothers botched a lot of stuff up at the end of that game, and it wasn't just the J.R. Smith, uh, you know, brain fart that uh, also cost um, the uh, the the Cavs that opportunity in that game. Uh, you also had the the missed free throw. Uh, obviously uh, uh, at the end of that game too. But Tony Brothers reversed a charge call uh, that LeBron had actually taken and didn't necessarily have the mechanism to do so. There have been a lot of questionable Tony Brothers moments over the years, and last night there were some questionable calls. Now, you're talking about two teams that do a whole lot of flopping, right? Nikola Jokic, for as great as he is, as as talented as he is, he's the best player on on the court, maybe the planet, uh, but he gets pushed down by guys uh, the size of Kyle Lowry a lot. And that doesn't seem to be that physically possible. But then Kyle Lowry is the, one of the most, you know, he's like a, a human bobblehead doll, the way he's bobbing his head up and down when he's dribbling and flailing arms. So uh, Jimmy Butler, you can throw into that mix. A lot of flopping in this series. What did you make of the officiating? Was there anything that was overly egregious in your opinion? Yeah, well, uh, as you said, the our history with uh, Tony <laughs> Brothers. Um, I think some refs are just the way they are. Um, you know, I know it's a common saying in sports, uh, especially from coaches when they bemoan a, a ref or an ump uh, uh, to trying to make it about them. Um, I don't really buy into that. Uh, maybe it is the case, but I think it's just like some refs are the way they are. And, you know, yesterday was a result of that. It was a very messy, um, officiated game. Did you use that as a pun because Messi is also uh, headed to South Florida? Um, No, but yeah, that's more or less what I uh, extracted from it. Uh, I didn't really see the officiating sort of uh, adding up to what some people have have suggested, even like some media members, like really kind of saying the fix is in kind of thing, right? Like it's rigged or something like that. Uh, I haven't necessarily seen, uh, or at least watching that game last night, it didn't really add up to that for me. It just looked like sloppy sloppy officiating officiating where you have these guys who are falling for a lot of the standard tricks right the old ymca type of tricks uh and that frustrates me sometimes you know as a basketball fan you know these are supposed to be the best officials in the world and i get it officiating professional sports officiating the game of basketball at any level is tough at the professional level particularly as fast and big and strong and and high-flying as these guys are, that is a tough thing to ask an officiating crew to get them all right. That's just not going to happen. But there do seem to be times where you see officials kind of falling for these old standard tricks. And you would think with the kind of research and studying and preparation that they do in gearing up to, uh, you know, perform as officials in these huge games, right, only the select few cream of the crop are supposed to uh, basically get these assignments in the NBA finals for them to kind of fall for some of those old tricks like uh, that frustrates me as a fan. And I know it frustrates a lot of other people. I didn't quite see it, though, to a degree where it was like this one sided uh, conspiracy against the Miami Heat. It just like you alluded to just seemed really sloppy. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, the one positive thing is that um, the game yesterday wasn't very close. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, there's no situations where um, a game does get swung because of a call um, like five years ago. Yeah. But, uh, Do we hold a grudge or what? Do we hold a grudge <laughs> about like Tony Brothers? Like, I'll never forget that till the day I die. Like, remember when you reversed the uh, charge and it changed the outcome potentially of that game one that was supposed to be the signature LeBron performance, 50 points uh, in the NBA finals. But uh, I digress. Anyway, uh, 808-296-1420 is the number. Um, we are very excited because when we come back, we're going to be talking with 
with a freshman All-American for the Rainbow Warrior baseball team. That's right, Harrison Bodendorf, who became the first freshman All-American since 2019 for the University of Hawaii. Uh, that was announced yesterday, and he's going to join us via the Aloha Kia hotline when we come back. A reminder, though, Domino's Pizza Hawaii is a supporter of Let's Talk Sports, and if you order online or via the app, you can save as much as 20% off on your order. In fact, they have a whole bunch of uh, combo discounts and other deals and coupons. Uh, you want to check it out again, Domino's Pizza of Hawaii. We deliver aloha. All right, more Let's Talk Sports with my man, Christian Shimabuku, when we come back. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Lehi here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Christian Shimabuku is my guest co-host for the day. Uh, he is the digital reporter at KHON2, and we're excited to welcome to the show via the Aloha Kia hotline uh, the latest freshman All-American for the Rainbow Warrior baseball team. Left-handed pitcher Harrison Bodendorf joins us. Harrison, how are you doing, sir? Harrison, do we got you? Oh, there we go, yeah. Oh, right on. Hey, how's I'm it going, good. man? How are you? Oh, good, good. You good. scared the doing? bejesus out of me right there. But hey, we got you, and we're all good, and we're all connected. Uh, congratulations, first off, the announcement coming out uh, yesterday. You are the first freshman All-American uh, for the Rainbow Baseball program since Scotty Scott got the honor in 2019. You're the first UH pitcher to earn the distinction since Dylan Thomas in 2017. Uh, also, those guys uh, getting the recognition from collegiate baseball. So uh, congratulations to you. Uh, how did that news hit you? Oh, I was um, I was actually out throwing. I was uh, in Escondido about an hour away. My pitching coach and my uh, I was just playing catch, you know, starting to throw back up again. And then he was like, "Hey, Jay, you got freshman All American?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, he happened to just go on Instagram and see the post, and so that's kind of how I found out, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so when you did find out, like, how does that make you feel? I mean, hey, look, it's a team sport. We get it. You got team goals. But uh, now that the season is pow and, and you catch a little bit of recognition like that, uh, that's got to feel pretty good, huh? Oh, yeah, it feels great. Like, what uh, What do you think, uh, you look back on your freshman campaign here, uh, what do you look back on and think, all right, this is, this is what I did well. I, I'm pleased at the way uh, this went uh, here for me in my approach to pitching. Um, I think, uh, my adjustments I made from the beginning of the season, you know, coming out of the beginning of the season, my walks were kind of through the roof. It was almost two an inning and, you know, I don't know if that was just kind of overthrowing cause it's first college outing or what it was, but hmm. I feel like after those first couple of weeks when I had all those walks, I really didn't have many throughout the rest of the season. And I just did a way better job of attacking hitters and not like trying to overthrow or do too much. Yeah, and you definitely did, uh, if you're talking about making those right adjustments, you definitely did that and uh, ended up posting a 5-2 and two record, 3.45 ERA. You had a handful of saves, uh, 66 strikeouts, and uh, 57 and a third innings pitched. Um, and you closed the season strong. You earned a save in five of your last seven appearances, holding a 2.04 ERA with 24 Ks to just five walks uh, over 17 and two-thirds innings in your last seven outings. And so you finish strong. You take some momentum into the offseason season what does the offseason look like for you you mentioned you were throwing yesterday how much of that are you going to be doing how much of that does rich hill and, and the coaching staff want you to do um yeah so the offseason is going to be you know mainly just throwing lifting trying to put on weight it's probably my biggest my biggest goal this offseason is to put on weight um and then from a throwing standpoint um i'm home for the summer i'm not going to summer ball 
Um, so it's I took I took a good week off completely of throwing, and then now I'm just kind of getting back into the groove. Won't really touch a mound for another week or two, probably just you know more playing catch. And then the biggest goal once I kind of get on the mound and more throwing is to work on my slider because obviously I had my fastball changeup working for me a lot this year. The slider was iffy. I could throw it a few times, but it wasn't a consistent pitch. And I think that's the biggest thing next year is one, the weight from the weight room, you know, putting on weight, getting size, hopefully velo increase with that, but also finding a third pitch to have. So that slider is going to be really important. What's up, Harrison? Uh, this is uh, Christian Shmubuku here. Um, yeah, I remember talking to you a few times, um, you know, after the games this year. Um, and there was a really interesting story that I wanted to ask you about. Um, the, and if not, then we can move on to the next subject. But, uh, you know, I do remember um, you, were, you, know, you were out there um, wearing number 41, um, having a big year with it. Is that a number you want to stick with? Or um, is there a number that you covet um, that maybe a teammate is wearing? And is, there, is that something you would like to expand on? Yeah, there, there is a number that I covet. It's 12, which uh, Ty Atkins wears. That's uh, been my number my whole life, my family's number. My dad wore it. My cousins wore it. And uh, it's something I've worn for a while. And, then, yeah, I was telling you, I offered Ty $500 for the number. And uh, he turned it down. Wow. But, uh, you know, 41 worked out pretty well for me this year. So I think I'm going to stick with that next year. Ty's coming back. He'll be number 12 again. And then if next year goes like this year did, then my junior year is going to be a very tough decision on you know, whether I stick with 41 or I go back to my roots and change to number 12. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a valid question by Christian, just considering, like, next time you see Ty, you're, you're going to be like, yeah, so uh, I'm an All-American. Does that uh, change? <laughs> like, the offer drops now, right? It's down to 250 for the number. Like, he kind of has to take that into consideration, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I would never I would never say that. I would never try and do anything like that. <laughs> you know, I love Ty. Ty's a great guy, and he is, yeah. If I offered it to him this year and he turned it down, I I doubt anything will change next year. And you know, it's it's his number two. He means as much to him as it does to me. And so that's like that's what makes me more okay with it too. Is it's not like you know someone just happens to have number twelve and like, but it means a lot to Ty too. And it's been his number for a while. So if anyone was to have it, I'd want it to be him. Oh. Well, that's a really cool sentiment. I, I think we're all in agreement. Ty is a, a really cool dude. And, uh, and that's kind of awesome that you guys were able to have that conversation even to begin with. Uh, but you talk about, you know, if you have another strong year next season, you're going to have that decision to make. And, and a lot of that is based not just on, you know, meaning of the number, but there's a little bit of superstition to that. Do you find yourself, as many baseball players are, uh, do you find yourself sort of, uh, um, you know, um, getting superstitious about a lot of things when it comes to your preparation for a game? Uh, yeah, I kind of do, honestly. I, I used to never really be a huge superstition guy. And then uh, kind of in my senior year of high school is when they, they kind of started to happen. And then definitely this year, I had certain things that I, I kind of needed to do before a game, like superstition-wise. And then, like, you know, I'm a I'm a big energy drink guy, so... If I had one that was working, like a certain flavor or a certain brand, I'd always have to make sure I had that before I pitched. And then if it didn't work out, then I switch it up and then find it, find another one. And then you just kind of, I just kind of kept riding them out, riding them out. That was, that was probably the biggest superstition of mine this year. Oh, well, that's something to keep in mind uh, as far as the NIL stuff goes. Uh, if you find that one energy drink, you make it known. Uh, oh, maybe yeah. you got yourself an NIL deal right there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so what's uh, what's the flavor then uh, that you stuck with? 
Uh, this year it was the Sour Warheads Green Apple Ghost. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That uh, sounds kind of heavy duty. Oh, it is heavy duty. I was very <laughs> over it by the end. One of those were like, the first time you drink it, you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's super sour. It kind of tastes just like a Warhead. And it's kind of crazy tasting, like kind of how they got that flavor into an energy drink. But then by the end of it, you know, having them every time, I'm like, oh, I'm so over this flavor. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, well, um, Harrison, I think one of the coolest parts of your story is how you joined UH as a walk-on, and now you're a freshman All-American um, as a true freshman. Um, so can you talk about, you know, how you ended up at UH, um, what it was looking like for you like a year ago or during your senior year, and, you know, how much that motivates you and how much um, that'll be a part of your journey? Yeah, so uh, during my senior year, pretty much throughout the whole year, I didn't really have much contact with any schools. I had a, like a little bit, I had pitched very well in the, the Jupiter Perfect Game Tournament the fall of my senior year, and I had a couple schools reach out, but it was after the, the signing day already, so they were like, yeah, we're just going to kind of wait till high school season, and then it all kind of went away. Nothing during high school season, and then I actually was having a tough decision because pretty good grades in high school, and I got into some good schools like Cal Poly Slow and UCSD for mechanical engineering, and... Um, you know, it was tough because I had to talk to my parents and everything. Like, I didn't really want to give up baseball. I was still going to kind of plan on be going to a JUCO, play baseball there, and test my luck out. But they were like, you did get into some really good schools for a really good major. You know, what do you think about maybe going to them, just trying to walk on, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then I had to really debate that back and forth. And I never officially told my parents because I think that they were kind of leaning towards just me trying to walk on. But I really was not ready to give up baseball at all. I wanted to go play Duco, test my luck. And then, you know, I was actually on the way to the beach, funny enough, when I got the text from Coach Cox the first time, which was kind of a crazy coincidence. But, yeah, he texted me, you know, said he's seen some stuff of me from um, actually his old scout buddies. I had a teammate who ended up getting drafted in the third round. So he had a lot of scouts at his game, and those scouts would see me pitch, obviously, when we would play. And they texted Dan about him, like, this kid's going nowhere. You know, he's got pretty good stuff, good build, projectable, things like that. So then Dan reached out, and uh, I didn't have any games or anything for him to come watch me pitch in. So I just had to get some of my high school teammates and do some live ABs, and Dan came down to watch those. He really liked what he saw, and he basically was like, yeah, you know, I really like you. It's kind of late. We don't have much money. We can't really offer you any money, but we'd love to give you a preferred walk-on spot. And, uh, you know, my parents heard that. Obviously, when I heard that, I was stoked, and I really wanted to go. And when my parents heard that, they were okay with it more because it was still a four-year school. I could go get my degree, things like that. And then, you know, took the chance, and it worked out very well for me. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. We're talking with Harrison Bonendor, freshman All-American pitcher for the uh, Rainbow Warrior baseball program. What did your parents have to say after yesterday's news? Oh, they were so excited. My dad was at work. He called my mom because she's not really on that kind of stuff, so she doesn't really see it until my dad tells her. And, you know, he called her, and my mom didn't answer, so he called my little sister. She answered, and my dad was like, she said he was like bawling his eyes out, and he was like, go get mom, go get mom. My sister was like, she thought something bad happened, like something to a family member or something, because he was just like crying so much, and then got my mom, and he told her, and they were all super excited. 
Man, that's really awesome. Uh, that that is a genuine uh, family moment right there, and and obviously you can understand uh, how proud they must be uh, of you. And uh, man, congratulations! Uh, what a fantastic accomplishment and achievement. Uh, the future is bright for you, my friend, and uh, it's been a lot of fun watching you uh, here through this first season. And looking forward to uh, when you return to the islands and get it uh, revved up again for next year. Thank you. All right, you take care. All right. You too. All right, Harrison Bodendorf, freshman All-American pitcher for the Rainbow Warrior baseball team. That was a pretty cool story uh, to end on, talking about his dad getting emotional uh, after seeing that. Um, and also very impressive, right? I mean, this is an impressive young man. Uh, he's got um, you know a lot in front of him academically, a lot in front of him in terms of his athletic career. Um, and this is just yet another uh, takeoff point for him having uh, achieved this distinction of being a freshman All-American. He's back home in Temecula, California, as you you heard uh, and like a lot of those core pitchers for this uh, rainbow team uh, rich hill kind of encouraging them to quote unquote shut it down not play summer ball focus a little bit more on just training strength uh, strengthening up you know strength and conditioning stuff um, trying to preserve the arms a little bit and uh, maybe come back a little fresher for next year yeah, and, um, you know, I think the future is really bright, and I think a guy like Harrison Bodendorf um, really illustrates that. Um, you know, I think for him personally, if he has two more years like that, he'll get he'll be a top-five uh, round draft pick. Um, but I think, um, you know, as, as you saw, Kanoa, when you called the games, um, you know, the season ended very... Um, very greatly for UH, where oh, yeah. they walked off UC Santa Barbara, and um, they were right there in the Big West Conference race. Um, they fell a couple of games short, but um, imagine if that was like to get them to the regionals. Like, how cool would that have been? But uh, I think the the bottom line is they were right there. Um, they have a lot of pitching coming back for next year, so the future is bright. Um, unfortunately, um, pitching coach Matthew Troop yeah. um, is not coming back. But, um, you know, I think he laid a great foundation. Yeah, you know, in fact, uh, now that you mention it, that was probably something we needed to uh, ask um, uh, Harrison before we let him go, just kind of his reaction to uh, Matt Troop uh, leaving. But just based on some of the conversations that I've had uh, with some of the pitchers and even Rich Hill himself, uh, you know, the hope was that they could somehow get Matt Troop to stay. Uh, circumstances uh, really kind of forced his hand, I think. Um, and he had a really good relationship with the pitcher. So it's going to be a loss um, and it's going to be a challenge, I think, for Rich Hill uh, to fill that void uh, and make sure that uh, it is with someone who uh, can establish the same kind of chemistry that uh, Matt Troop had uh, with his guys, because um, I think that was something that uh, really uh, kind of made it more comfortable, especially for a young guy like Harrison Bodendorf, uh, just kind of being able to have that that guy like Matt Troop to, to kind of ease him into this thing and, and help him along the way. He mentioned some of the adjustments he made, and I think Matt Troop was right there uh, every step of the way with him. So, uh, yeah, it'll be uh, interesting. They do have some pitching talent coming in as well that uh, is worthy of excitement. Uh, you have to navigate through the draft and free agent signings too, though, and so Harry Gustin's going to be a guy who's going to be looked at closely. Uh, Rich Hill has told me if if we get Harry Gustin back, a couple of the recruits that we are expecting, if they can kind of dodge, if you will, uh, the temptation of maybe getting an opportunity at the professional level and they end up in Manoa as planned, uh, he says we're going to be in pretty good shape and a huge reason, a huge pillar uh, will certainly be Harrison Bodendorf. So we appreciate him uh, giving us some of his time. What we are going to do is uh, go ahead and take a break. Uh, Christian Shimabuku and I will be back with our best and worst to end the show. Welcome back. 
Stay cool this summer, folks. Get the new Bosch Inverter Central Air Conditioning System that qualifies for up to a $1,000 Hawaii Energy rebate. Ask your contractor for the Bosch Inverter. All right, Kanoa Leahy and Christian Shimabuku, my special guest co-host here for the day. We're in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Big mahalo once again to uh, Harrison Bodendorf, freshman All-American. What an awesome achievement that is uh, for him. Uh, his future is bright. His interview was fantastic. Uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing him uh, in action next season. Time now, though, for our best and worst. We've got a little over two minutes here to go. Christian, what's your best here for the day? Yeah, um, well, my best is Oklahoma softball. Um, you have to respect greatness. Um, even without Jocelyn Olo, arguably the greatest college softball player of all time, they're 60-1 and one on a 52-game winning streak heading into today's game two against Florida State. Um, another best uh, was yesterday's game when Florida State's Kaylee Mudge made probably the catch of the year, yeah. robbing a home run, but Oklahoma's still on like they normally do. Yeah, no, that was a fantastic catch. You saw that in real time. I didn't see it until the, the replay. We had it on, on another screen, uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was terrific. And of course, predictably, it was number one, ESPN Sports Center top 10. Would have loved for Neil Everett uh, to have uh, taken us through that one. All right, my best is, I just like this guy, Shea Serrano, uh, author, uh, writer, um, and San Antonio Spurs lover. That's pretty cool. Uh, but he had a, a tweet talking about uh, Cody Zeller of the Heat guarding Nikola Jokic. And his tweet, I just love this line. He says, Zeller guarding Jokic is like if a giant piece of meat wearing a suit made of more meat was trying to guard a lion. <laughs> and that about explains it. Uh, good luck to Cody Zeller, uh, even with the, uh, the face mask. Good luck. Uh, they're trying to guard uh, the best player, perhaps, on the planet. Anyway, uh, let's move it over to the bad stuff. What's your worst? Uh, my worst is um, the top two picks of the 2019 NBA draft, John ja Morant and Zion Williamson. Um, ja has gotten in a lot of trouble um, with, um, you know, toting his guns on social media. Um, a punishment will come out after the finals. Um, Zion Williamson. Yeah, that's a weird story, this one, huh? Yeah, his dirty laundry being aired out on Twitter. Um, it's TMI uh, on Twitter. It's TMI if I expand on it. So um, yeah. if you want to look in, more into it, then um, just look it up on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, look it up on Twitter and, and just um, beware. Just beware of some of the content yeah. you are getting into. Zion Williamson, uh, he uh, he toils in some questionable areas. Let's just put it that way. Uh, all right, my worst is um, Tyler Hero. Uh, they were expecting him to make his return here in this series. He has been ruled out of game four tomorrow. Uh, and so the bad news of that, not just the fact that he won't play, um, means more minutes for Kyle Lowry. That's <laughs> bad news. Uh, but the, also, uh, the other bad part of it is now we have to see Tyler Hero wearing some of his questionable fashion choices on uh, on the bench again. That's always been a, a bad thing here in these uh, NBA finals. <laughs> That's it for us. Big mahalo once again to Harrison Bodendorf. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for doing this, man. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Aloha.